0: Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance, as I am on a journey. A journey for more light. But more especially, light that has been lost, forgotten, we're hidden among the ages gone by, the light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose, light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Light. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, a new independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I want to thank you for joining us again on our quest for historical light. So our introduction episode released last week and it went over really well. I've gotten a lot of comments in from brothers, giving some really encouraging words and letting us know that they really appreciate the efforts behind the show and that they're really excited for what's to come. I want to express how thankful I am for that, and that I, too, am very excited for what's to come with this show. So with that said, let's jump over to MasonryToday.com and see what happened today in Masonic History. So on today's day to Masonic History, we're covering the date of birth of Richard Ewing Powell. Brother Powell was an American entertainer. Powell was born on November 14th, 1904, in Mountain View, Arkansas. When he was 10, his family moved to Little Rock. In Little Rock, he sang in church choirs and local orchestras. He also started his own band. He attended the Little Rock College before launching his own career as an entertainer. He joined various bands and in the late 1920s signed a recording contract with a company that would later become part of Warner Brothers in 1930. Warner Brothers was impressed with Powell's singing ability and his stage performance. He had emceed for a time in a theater. The studio began casting Powell for various roles, all the roles having in common that the character was a singer of some kind. Many of the films were musicals with choreography. Some of his early films were referred to as pre code movies. Pre code movies were films that were created after the start of sound pictures and before the motion picture production code as a set of moral guidelines for the making of motion pictures. By 1940, Powell was ready to leave Warner Brothers. He was interested in more dramatic roles and roles that did not include him singing. So Powell bought out his contract with Warner Brothers. By 1944, Powell felt he was too old to be a romantic leading man, so began to try to branch out. One of the roles that he first tried for and lost, he lost to Fred McMurray. Instead of frustrating him, this proved to Powell that he could reinvent himself. This was also the end of his singing roles in films. Later in 1944, he was cast to play Detective Philip Marlowe. Powell was the first person to play the character by name in a film. In the 1950s and early 1960s powell branched out into radio and then into television it was also in the 1950s that powell was one of the founders of the company four-star television this would later branch out to four-star films in 1956 powell directed the film the conqueror which starred john wayne as genghis khan the film production took place in saint george utah which was downwind of the united states above ground atomic testing The cast and crew totaled 220. By 1981, 91 of them had developed some form of cancer. 46, including John Wayne and Powell, passed away from cancer. Powell passed away on January 2, 1963. Powell was a member of Ascot Lodge 538 in Los Angeles, California. So thank you again to our friends over at masonrytoday.com for that, and definitely check out their page and subscribe so you can keep up with that great Masonic history they're putting out on a daily basis. So the topic for today's show is the Liverpool Masonic Rebellion of 1823. We're extremely grateful to have had the chance to interview an expert on the subject, Dr. and brother David Harrison, who is from Liverpool, has done an amazing amount of research, and even written a great book on it. So before we go in, a little disclaimer. With this being our very first interview, we did happen to run into some audio issues. You can still hear everything fine, but we had some background pop or background noise pop up. We think we got that taken care of, so it shouldn't be an issue in any further episodes. Just ask that you give us a little slack on this one, and we'll definitely get better as time goes on. With that said, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Hey everybody. Welcome back to Historical Light. Uh, we're pleased to have our guest today, Dr. and Brother David Harrison. Brother David, I'm going to hand it over to you if you don't mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your background.
1: Thank you, Alex. Um, yeah, my name is Dr. David Harrison and um, I've been a Freemason for nearly 20 years uh, under the United Grand Lodge of England and I uh, did a PhD which I um, successfully defended back in 2008. That was on the history of Freemasonry, history of English Freemasonry and that became the first book with Lewis Masonic called The Genesis of Freemasonry and from there it's... Um, well, snowballed really. I've I've had uh, eight books out, and it's going really well. Uh, fascinating journey, uh, researching masonry and um, all different aspects. Uh, I can't even say it now, all different aspects of Freemasonry, and um, so yeah, it's really really interesting journey.
0: Wow, that that's very impressive. So first of all, what, what brought you to Freemasonry? Did you have family history or what was it that actually uh, introduced you to coming into Freemasonry?
1: Um, yeah, I was, uh, um, I, well, I later discovered that I had uh, a great, great, great grandfather who was a Freemason um, in the same lodge that I'm in now, which is, which is quite strange. I only actually discovered that when, when I just became a Freemason. And, um that was back in uh, 1998 and so um uh yeah it's uh um that, that was probably back about, about 1845 or something like that so uh, there's been a bit of a gap um in uh, my family being being masons you know uh, but uh, apart from that you know um i've I've met a few uh Local people that that have known family and things like that, but but yeah, I'm, I'm probably the first of the you know the generation for a good hundred and fifty years or so. So
0: very cool, very cool. We're glad you did. You've obviously uh, brought a, a wealth of knowledge to the fraternity, and uh, we're so glad that you uh, you made that leap. So. What was it that brought you into being so uh, hooked and interested in the, in the history of Freemasonry? brought you to write eight books and get your doctrine in Freemasonry. That's, that's pretty impressive.
1: Um, well, it, it was by accident, really. Um, I uh, never envisioned being a historian or a, or a, or a writer. Um, I was uh, a musician um, in the 90s, in the 1990s. Uh, I, w- I was in a band and, and that, that, that was my uh, creative streak really um, and uh, at the same time I'd, I'd gone to university and I'd done history and when, when the band collapsed if you like, fell, fell apart, I, I just carried on with, with, with the history and, and um, I wanted to be an archaeologist so I tried my hand at archaeology and that was very, very badly paid really so I kind of moved on from there and I thought well, I'd become a teacher, I'll become a lecturer. So um, I did an MA and uh, I was successful at the MA and the University of Liverpool asked me to do a PhD. And I thought, oh, that's okay, I'll do that. Um, and they, want some, they wanted something that was, uh, that was new and uh, cutting edge really, you know, as all PhDs are. Um, and at the, at the same time, I, I just joined Freemasonry, and uh, I suggested about the history of Freemasonry, and they said, yeah, that's great, it's fantastic, yeah, we've never had that before." So that that's how it started, really. And, um, and that that was in the year two thousand when I when I started the PhD, um, did it part time, and uh, I, I was a, a teacher and a lecturer um, at the same time, and um, passed that in. Uh, 2008, so uh, I finally got the PhD then, so that, that opened a new career in. All right,
0: very cool. Well that that is uh, definitely a great feat, uh, you coming out with eight books. One of those books has a subject matter of what we're going to be discussing tonight with the Masonic Rebellion of 1823. Uh, brother, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about uh, that matter.
1: Um, yeah, the Liverpool Masonic Rebellion of 1823, it was a reaction against the uh, Union um, of 1813, where the uh, the ancients and the moderns had been brought together, um, English Freemasonry was supposedly healed, if you like. Um, uh, this obviously caused a bit of a uh, reaction against some die-hard lodges, um, you know, that, that were used to doing it their own way, their, their own particular way. Because uh, one of the things that was brought in by by the Union was uh, the, the Duke of Sussex, who was the Grand Master. Of the time, he um, was quite stern in his opinions, and um, um, he wanted it um, uniform, really. You know, the uh, the ritual to be standardised, and um, the administration was was going to be changed. Um, um, the uh, dues went up as well, um, uh, which which a lot of lodges weren't happy with. You know, they've, they've got to pay a bit extra now. You know, for Freemasonry, so. Um, there was there was a lot of problems really that, that, that arose from from the union, and uh, one of the, the centres really of um, uh, discontent was was in Lancashire, which was uh, uh, in the northwest of England. That's where I'm from, and uh, in particular Liverpool. And um, uh, Lancashire at the time was the industrial heartland of uh, England, and that's where all the cotton mills were, all the um, you know the majority of the mines, if you like. You know the, um, the coal mines. Um, there was um, uh, Liverpool was was one of the main ports that uh, imported cotton from from uh, the southern states, and and that cotton obviously went to the textile mills of of uh, Manchester and, and Warrington and Wigan, Rochdale, places like that. Um, so the area had, had, had suffered a lot of uh, discontent. Over the um, uh, the past decades, um, you know, the late uh, 18th century, early 19th century would would were particularly um, hard for the area, um, and um, there was a lot of poverty as well. So, so the whole um, aspect of the Liverpool Masonic Rebellion crosses over to social history, really, local history, which is something that that, that I like as well. Um, and uh, in in Liverpool. Um, there was um, a mason called Michael Alexander Gage, and he, he really instigated the rebellion. He he was uh, the firebrand, if you like, and he, he was complaining about all all kinds of things. Uh, really, and one of one of the main things as well was was that the uh, the Royal Arch, which which was classed as a fourth degree by by the ancients, um, was was now kind of declassified, if you like, to to become. Um, the completion of the third and uh, so that still created a bit of an argument and uh, one of the things that Michael Alexander Gage wrote about was, was you know how, how this um, you know was causing upset you know um, some some of the Liverpool rebels and, and um, in addition uh, some of the Wigan lodges as well joined, joined the rebellion and, and, and they wrote a letter to the, to the Duke of Sussex and um, legend has it that, that he read this letter and he, and he just threw it on the fire or something. You know, he, you know it's a typical kind of view of aristocracy and, um, you know, the royal family, and, you know, at, at, at the time. And um, so this, this led to even more um, rebelliousness, if you like, because they, they didn't receive a reply, you know. Uh, so all, all, all of this complaining really just, just, just got them nowhere. Um so there was there was all kinds of things going on in liverpool there was there was um uh, michael alexander gage and, and his and his cohorts were um were suspended um and so that didn't help either and uh, a lot of lodges supported him you know they thought it was outrageous that, that he'd been suspended you know for, for you know no main apparent reason apart from just complaining you know um, so eventually things things got, got worse and worse um and in 1823 um they uh created um the ancient grand lodge again and so so this is where you get the uh the uh this independent grand lodge that that, that formed which now would be probably classed as uh, clandestine grand Lodge. so so you could imagine the you know the um how people would have felt about that, you know, sure. Uh, and um, what what the um, the rebellion caused really was um, um, a grand lodge that was on its own that was isolated and acted as like a time capsule, really, um, because they they were still working um, a table lodge. Which, which was something that was um, consigned to history then. You know, I mean, that, that's something of the 18th century, really, you know, in, in English terms. Um, and uh, so they, they became this, this, this ancient um, time capsule, if you like, that, that, that still practice all these old-fashioned ways of Freemasonry, um, which, which in some circles has, has become known as the Wigan tradition. Because the um, what, what happened just a few years after the rebellion in 1823 was that uh, there was a fallout between the, the Liverpool brethren and the Wigan brethren mainly o- over the fact that um, there was uh, a Liverpool brother who was uh, grand secretary and, and, and he ran off with the money and so that that, that didn't go down very well and, and caused a massive fallout and, and um, I would imagine so. Um, yeah, <laughs> and a, and a, and, a, and a bit of a split. So basically, the the, the grand lodge moved to Wigan, and uh, put, like on a permanent basis. And so it it continued to meet in Wigan until till 1913. So so it can be said that the rebellion really lasted 90 years. You know, from 1823 to 1913. And um, one, of, one of the difficulties uh, I had with the with the book really was with, was convincing the publisher. That um, it, it wasn't just about local history. Um, there was there was more of an international interest in this because it, it reflects how um, the union really wasn't just a simple um, ha- harmonious event. You know where where in 1813, ancients and moderns came together and life was all harmony and. And and it wasn't like that at all. You know, there was there was a lot of lodges in in various parts of the country as well that, that didn't like uh, the new ideas that, that that were coming through, and especially the ritual changes and the administrational changes. And uh, one one thing about Lancashire is, is that it's probably the uh, the largest province um, in in England at, at, at the time. Um, in in the United Grand Lodge of England we have provinces that, that are uh, more or less kind of um, structured on the on the county basis really um, okay. and the Lancashire province was was one of the largest and uh, probably one of the most um, uh, populated because it was um, obviously the heartland of the industrial revolution uh, so a, a lot of the um, you know the major industrial centres there were were completely crowded by, you know, by that time. You know, Liverpool uh, with its courts and and, uh, uh, the disease and poverty that was going on and then Manchester as well and Wigan and Warrington and uh, places like that, Rochdale, Preston, uh, Blackburn, um, all all these big uh, industrial centres, you know. so uh, one of the things that that the rebellion caused was that um, the Lancashire province was split between east and west, which, which it still is today, which is interesting. And uh, the United Grand Lodge of England kind of backed off the uh, the enforcement of, of ritual, you know, and and uh, allowed the lodges to do to do it their their own particular way, as long as it stayed within the framework of of the United Grand Lodge of England. So so you get all these wonderful styles of ritual that, that some of them still still existing in, in England like the Bottomley ritual which is um, associated with Liverpool, uh, Liverpool masonry and um, the Humber usage, uh, the Humber use which, which is over in um, the, um, the North in Hull. Um, you've got the York working which is based in York, um, Bristol working, um, uh, you've got um, all kinds of weird and wonderful little rituals you know there's um oh there's local you know to be night, just really well off you know oh, but, definitely. Um, oh definitely
0: and yeah. i've actually so, came through a few a uh, few of those rituals and you yeah, know they're they're almost like lost rights to a degree because you don't see them much today and you go through them and there's there's so much like, history in there it's, it's very cool to kind of bring those back to life
1: yeah, I mean, o- over the past decade or so, you know, I mean, I mean Freemasonry, um, um, I, I think this has happened in, in, the, in, in the United States as well, has, um, you know, uh, declined in numbers, you know, so mm-hmm. a, a lot of lodges are closed and um, some, some some of these rituals are, are um, you know, not practiced anymore. You know, they're, they're, um, uh, there's, there's one called the uh, the Nigerian ritual. Uh, which which was um, uh, she's so still going in you know in a few lodges. Um, uh, there's Carlyle's ritual, which was uh, named after Richard Carlyle, who who was the radical um, who who was at Peterloo massacre in Manchester in 1819, and and he basically kind of got all the, the rituals together and, and uh, published it as a, as a book and. And even though he wasn't a Freemason, the his, his ritual became very popular because it was quite easily obtained, you know. So, and it went into a number of editions. Um, but there's, uh, to my knowledge, anyway, there's no lodges practicing the Carlisle ritual anymore, which is, you know, it's got those little bits that, that are completely different and eccentric, you know, which makes it really nice. Sure. Um, so, so the Liverpool Masonic Rebellion really had, had had quite quite an effect, and. Um, um there was about five so lodges uh that that were involved um uh one one of the lodges definitely practiced the table lodge we know we know that for sure um which which um was a complete um eccentricity in freemasonry during the 19th century in england um and there was one particular lodge uh, that actually met outside they they met under a bridge by by a canal in wigan and um the reason for that was I think that they um they, they were meeting in an inn that that was by by the bridge and they hadn't paid their you know, the fees to the landlord, you know, the rent to the landlord so so basically through through threw them out and they started meeting under a bridge, which <laughs> is completely bizarre. And apparently they had they had two um tilers, one well, one at either end of the bridge, you know, <laughs> underneath the bridge so no one could walk past um, that is so, very cool. Absolutely, bizarre. yeah. You know, and and again, that that to my knowledge is is one of the um, the only uh, English lodges that, that actually worked outside. You know, um, and I know I know you get a few lodges in America that that, that work that do work outside. You know, because obviously the weather's could be nicer there, and you know, um, over here we get rain all the time. You know, so yeah, sure. It's no well, problem.
0: you work with <laughs> what you got, right? <laughs> This is it,
1: and under a bridge when it's raining, why not? You know.
0: There you go. Well, with the uh, with the differences between the ancient and modern lodges, what would you say was the main differences between the two that would bring them to actually come to a rebellion with their uh, their decisions?
1: Um, there, there was a lot of differences, really. There was um, one of the main ones was was the Royal Arch. The um, the ancients um, saw that as a as a separate degree, a fourth degree. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where the moderns only saw it as like a completion of the third, and, and 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 this was a was a big argument really. You know, there was there was, there was a big big difference there. Um, there was all there was all kinds of different um, uh, ways of of uh, practicing the administration, for example, like the ancient lodges. Um, uh, they they could have uh, a warrant, and uh, and then. You know they could they could move move around with that warrant. You know, so like like for example, there was there was a lodge in Stockport um, called the Lodge of St John um, that had been working in in Yorkshire over the border for a while and, and kind of come back and um, you know, cool. so and that, that that had moved around um, and, and modern lodges didn't really tend to do that and um, they they stayed stayed where they were you know? right. Uh, so so there was, there was different practices um, and the ritual, obviously, um, was uh, different back then. I mean, you know, you get, even today in England, you know, it's probably the same in the United States where, you know, you go to different lodges and this is the way that we do it, you know. Um, back then it was probably a bit more, um, well, kind of, a bit more worse than that, you know. <laughs> you know Definitely. It, 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 Yeah, that that was
0: one of the things that threw me off coming into masonry, kind of the the interpretation of it I had is everybody has always used the same ritual word by word by word. And I'm saying the same words that George Washington did, for example. And then uh, the first time I got to travel was just, you know, I'm in Kansas, uh, Missouri is just not too far from me. I visited a lodge just in Missouri. It's under a different Grand Lodge. And the difference is not huge, but just enough. You're like, whoa,
1: what? That <laughs> that's different. Yeah. so, yeah, and, and I can and totally That's right. That's right. I mean, like a table lodge, for example. Um, I mean, we know that the the lodge of sincerity, which which was the main lodge in the Wigan Grand Lodge, which which became uh, which, which kind of developed from from the Bickerman Summit Rebellion. Uh, they, they they were practicing this this table lodge because we've got a painting of it, and. Uh, uh, it's completely bizarre to look at it. You know, they 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 used to work around the lodge, uh, work work around the table. You know, um, so um um it, it it to comprehend that that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's 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 quite bizarre. And there was all kinds of other things as well. There was there was you know slightly different symbolism and and um, uh, of course when when the union happened, uh, a, a lot of the symbolism changed anyway. You know, there was. Um, like, like for example, in in my lodge now, which is called the Lodge of Lights, which is um, which meets in Warrington, very old lodge, 250 years old this this, this year. Um, they they still use for the deacons um, uh, the uh, the jewel uh, is uh, Mercury uh, with uh, Caduceus, you know the the, oh, wow. with, the with the snake and um they they're still allowed to use that because they they were formed before the union and any lodge that was founded af- after the union um have to wear a dove um so uh, there's a you know there's, there's there's slight little differences like that so so you can imagine you know people in lodges at the time thinking, oh, I can't believe this you know how how dare they tell us that, that we can't use one of them you know there, sure you know. And this is this is how it works, you know. So, um, and and the thing with Michael Alexander Gage, who who was the leading firebrand of of, of the, the rebellion, he his his writings. There's a lot of his writings that that, that survive. He was, he was a very very intelligent man, uh, a beautiful letter writer, you know. I mean, his his handwriting was beautiful, um, and um, he 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 was into all, all kinds of things, you know. He he, he was, uh, um, uh, in, into, um, you know, kind of uh, scientific things, and and uh, he was a map maker, uh, a cartographer. Um, really? And he, and, he, and, he, and he designed, drew this beautiful map of Liverpool, as, as Liverpool was developing in the 1830s, and it's very, very intricate, and even even today, you know, um, in auction, you know, an it, 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 uh, original copy fetches thousands, you know. Uh, It's a beautiful uh, work work of art, Um, but he he comes across in his writings as a very aggressive, um, almost kind of um, I don't don't use the word nasty, but very aggressive, and you know can imagine him standing up and being very um, um, quite violent in a way. You know, I I get this image of him where he's quite a bit of a bully, I think, right. and he'd stand up and he'd, and he'd, you know, tell people what he thought, you know, um, and uh, that, that, that comes across in his writings a lot. Um, in fact, later on, he, he left Freemasonry uh, in the 1840s. He, he effectively he rebelled against the rebels um, <laughs> in the 1840s because he completely disagreed with the way the Wigan Grand Lodge was going, um, and, and they, they'd renumbered lodges and they became like lodge number one, two, three, four, you know, this this kind of thing, and and he believed that um, the old numbers uh, should should have been kept. So something trivial like that really set him off, you know, and that that was one thing about the um, um the union, the 1813 union, was that. Um, a lot of the numbers were changed the lodge numbers were changed uh, to obviously bring in you know another grand lodge and merge with with the modern grand lodge you know you had to restructure everything and, uh, for the administrative purposes you know a lot of um lodges became you know just 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 re re re-numbered. and um it, it, it must have been a big a big job really, you know um you know to get all these new new lodges in and and um um, you know, all the paperwork, basically, you know, the bureaucracy definitely, of it.
0: Definitely. With, so, that, um, with that, have you seen any um, loss in history because of the the merging of the Grand Lodges mm-hmm. and all the differences in the paperwork and everything? Uh, for example, mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of family history, um, trying to you know trace back family members that were in masonry. I have my great-great-grandfather that was a member of a lodge in Oklahoma, Um, that back in the Mm. time was not the state of Oklahoma, it was uh, Indian Territory, and they had the Grand Lodge of Indian Territory. Um, Well, you also had uh, the Grand Lodge of Arkansas that chartered some lodges within that state, and then I Mm. believe it was in 1906 uh, that it all converted over to uh, the Grand Lodge of Oklahoma, and it seems to me that just a, a lot of information was lost at that time. And, uh-huh. you know, reasonably so within uh, small towns and stuff. Do you, do you see any of the same uh, in this situation with the merging um, of history being lost between any of these lodges? Um,
1: there's uh, quite, quite a lot of lodges that, that do disappear um, around, around that time. And um, it, it, it was also a very, very kind of rough time for Freemasonry in England at that particular point because um, as as I've mentioned in in my um, second book which was called The Transformation of Freemasonry which is all about Freemasonry in the 19th century there was uh, an act passed in 1799 called the Secret Societies Act Um, and this this is all about you know the the wars with France and and the revolution that that occurred in France and um, it it was uh, William Hit the younger that, that, that brought it in, um, and um, it was like a knee-jerk reaction. But it affected Freemasonry uh, because they, they then had to make a list of uh, every lodge had to make a list of its its membership and and uh, and, and because it was tainted with revolution as well. Um, we've we've done a bit of studying with this myself and another Masonic historian called John Belton. Um, and uh we 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 looked at a lot of lodge lists and uh a lot of the lodges lose members in the early 19th century uh the members Mm -hmm. just dips totally um there's a lot of lodges especially in the industrial areas where you've had a lot of radicalism and you've had a lot of revolts and machine breakers and and i talked about the peterloo massacre in manchester sure a a group of uh there was thousands people um uh, just gathering together uh, is basically what, what we call a rally today. Um, and they were cotton workers, and, and they were talking about the, you know how, how hard it was in in, in in the mills because you know you know children working in the mills getting trapped in the machines. They, they were working long hours. Um, the pay was terrible. And what, what happened was they sent the militia, the local militia, and, and um, quite a number of people got, got got killed. So it became like the Peterloo massacre named after, you know, the, the Waterloo, Battle of Waterloo, which was, you know, just a number of years before. Right. So, so the, the, the North West really had, had seen a lot of working men, you know, um, that um, wanted to get involved in in tra- trade unions, which which were, uh, because of the Combination Acts, which was another um, um, act by the, uh, the government, a series of acts by the government that, that had been brought in and um, they, they started to join Freemasonry and uh, we, we, we found evidence of all these working men that suddenly popped up in lodges. And the lodge that I'm in now, the Lodge of Lights, uh, which was founded in 1765, um, this had, until that time, uh, had merchants in and, and um, you know, local uh, industrialists and people like that. And then when you get to the early 19th century, you See a lot of working men coming, you know, like cotton spinners and, and things like that, and, and laborers and, and uh, fustian cutters. Uh, fustian was, was the um, um they made sails out of fustian, you know, so that that was a big industry, yeah, you know, especially by the Mersey, the River Mersey, you know, sure. for the ships and things. Um, and that that's where my uh great 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 grandfather um comes comes into play because he he was um he he worked in the cotton mills he was, he was he was just a working man and he and he joined Freemasonry then so um that's that's my connection with it really and uh, but there was a lot of people like him you know that that, that were just working men he worked in the mills they went into lodges and you've seen places like Warrington Wigan Oldham uh, the the old mill towns in Yorkshire as well um so a lot of working men joined, um, and then by by the time you get get to the 1850s, uh, it, it changes again. You know, the uh, you see a lot of middle class joining. you know, Sure. So, uh, but yeah, there's going, going back to your earlier question. Yeah, there's a lot of lodges that that, that just disappear, um, and um, basically, you know, the the short on members and, and the uh, you know close.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Well, with uh, with your modern beliefs on Freemasonry, your your personal journey, if you were in uh, alive in that time period, which way do you think you would have gone? Would you would have gone with the rebellion or would you have stayed with the uh, the ancients?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, um, yeah, well, I think with with the rebellion, um, I've I, I, I've always wondered if, if Michael Alexander Gage's. Kind of bullying and, and um, aggressive nature forced a lot of people to to, to follow him. Um, and um, uh, I've often wondered about that, you know. And I'm I'm not in, you know, any anybody, any bullies or anything like that. I I, I kind of react, it, you know, in a kind of, you know, like you know, I, I fight the bullies type thing, you know. So sure. it's weird, you know, it's strange. So um, he, 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 even though they were Standing up for, for what they believed in, um, which, which was you know to to keep the ritual and, and to keep their you know you know the Royal Arch as a as, as a, as a separate degree or whatever or a, you know the administration, and um, they were standing up for what they were believed in. There was the, the, there was a bit of a class structure going on as well at the time. There was it, it reflects that typical English um, kind of class war if you like because these these were lower end of the scale of tradesmen um, um there were landlords and, and like Michael Alexander Gage um, I mean he he was a very clever man but he, he was only working um, at, at the time I think he was um, apprenticed to a tailor uh, for, uh, for a time so he, he he was working as a tailor um, it was only later that he became a cartographer and and, and got into engineering and um, career change uh, for him. Um, uh, there was, um, yeah, kind of lower end trades, you know, high, uh, the high street trade. So they were. Um, I, I can see it as a as a class battle in a way because they were fighting uh, the uh, the aristocracy, you know, the Duke of Sussex sure. and and his his friends, you know, um, they were based down down in London um, and. Really, you know, I mean, Gage's uh, writing. Um, he wrote something called the uh, the Magna Carta of Masonic freedom, which which reflects, you know, the Magna Carta, and and you know, it's a beautiful document. It's quite kind of um, heavy in its writing, quite uh, aggressive again, and and he and he actually calls uh, the Duke of Sussex a tyrant. Um, and that that strong strong word, really, you know, considering that you've just had the. You know the American Revolution and, and the the French Revolution. You know and and um, there was all these kind of radicals going on in um, working class areas. Uh, sure. So I think on, on on one hand I would have liked to have been you know a rebel and, and uh, fought fought against that kind of class the class issues and and uh, stood up for the rights. But I can also see Michael Alexander Gage is has been a bit of a bully and being a bit of a touchy. Kind of person, you know, you've got to do it his, way, you know, and, and there's no other, you know, right. and uh, I think I would have, I wouldn't have been comfortable with that maybe. So, and 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 indeed, there were a few rebels that kind of drifted away from him quite quite early on. Um, uh, they they kind of backed out at, at the last minute. There was there was a guy called James Broadhurst um, who who fought with. Um, uh, Nelson, he, he, he was on a, a flagship, Nelson's flagship, and um, he came back to Liverpool after fighting with Nelson. Um, obviously, he was, he was treated as a bit of a hero because of his connection with Nelson, um, and um, he um, was a watchmaker in Liverpool. Uh, and he was well into the rebellion at the early stages. He, he, he was at the majority of the meetings. He was he was there with with uh, Gage and uh, the rest of the characters. Yet when they um, set up the Grand Lodge in 1823, he wasn't there. He, and he, really? He, um, yeah, and he and he and he apologised to the United Grand Lodge a year later. Um, so he went back to the United Grand Lodge. So. There were, there were a few like that, and I think, you know, I, I would have liked to have stood up for the rights and stood up, you know, for what I believe in, but then again, maybe Gage was a bit too much of a strong character and a um, firebrand, you know, um, so I'm, I might have edged my bets, really, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Very persuasive <laughs> <of> fellow,
0: it <laughs> seems.
1: Hmm. So, awesome. but I mean, it's an interesting time, though. You know, very, very interesting. Um, crosses over to social history, and and um, and and also on a on a on a bigger um, stage, you know, on a on, on the on the world Masonic stage, if you like. Um, it, it it also shows that that sometimes Freemasons don't get on as well, and there are, you know, problems and you know there's trouble and disagreements. And there's, it's not all about brotherly love, you know. It, it, there are fractures, and, and um, you know. So, so I think I think there's a um, a bigger lesson to be learned as well, you know. So um, when when I was convincing the publisher that it's not just about local history, you know, I was, I was trying to put forward that there was bigger issues there, you know. It, and they do say that history repeats itself.
0: Sometimes. Oh, definitely, definitely so. And I'm very glad that you're able to uh, to uh, convince the publisher of that because even in in facts of uh, being local history, it ends up having a, a major influence on masonry as a whole. So I, I mm. think it's a it's a wealth of knowledge, and uh, we're definitely all very grateful that you took the time to resource this material into the wonderful book that you did. So thank you so much for that.
1: Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, um, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite books that I've done, actually. You know, I uh, really, really enjoyed researching that, and, and um, you know, it's one of those books that, um, you know, you're kind of most, most proud of, really. It's oh, fun. sure.
0: Rightfully so. Rightfully yeah. so. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. I, I want to wish you luck. It sounds like you have your uh, anniversary for your lodge coming up this year. So that's uh, that's an amazing feat to be around that long. That's uh, some history that we definitely want to keep alive. Um, but thank you so much for your time and your wealth of knowledge on this subject. And we hope to have you back on again soon.
1: Thank you. Well, well thanks for the invite, Alex. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Not a
0: problem at all. All right. Well, I really hope you enjoyed the first interview of the show. As you can tell, Dr. Harrison really knows what he's talking about and brings a lot of knowledge to the table. So I encourage you to check him out farther. We'll have links to his pages and website on our website, historicallight.com, under the post for today's show. So check that out and pick up a copy of his book on today's subject. You can really get a deeper understanding of the events that occurred and really relive that history. Now, if you would like to come on the show or someone you know to share some historical light, either on your family history, your lodge, or just a subject that you're passionate about in the regards to masonry, let us know, and we'd love to schedule you to get you on the show. If you haven't done so already, give this, page, or give this show a thumbs up subscribe to our YouTube channel, and find us on Facebook at Historical Light and like us there to keep up with us. Uh, we're also on other social media platforms, and if there's a platform that we're not on, please let us know, and we'd love to set that up so it's most convenient for you. We also have the audio podcast version that is isn't works. We'll be uh, bringing that soon, so keep an eye out for that. We'll give you some updates as soon as we get a little farther on that. I want to thank you again for joining us today and hope to see you next time as we continue our quest for Historical Light.